0: So we're going to look at worship now in the context of warfare, spiritual warfare, uh, because worship is a crucial, crucial part of that. And the Bible makes that clear, I think. Uh, and so hopefully uh, this evening, I've, I've got a lot of personal anecdotes and stuff to share with you uh, from some of my own journey through, through that. Uh, and so hopefully this will help us turn our eyes to Jesus. Uh, And the key story that we'll get into in a moment is found in 2 Chronicles 20, which whenever you kind of look at the subject of of worship and warfare, this is kind of the go-to story, and we'll see why in a moment. Uh, But before that, I did just want to address the small elephant in the room, uh, because I'm aware that up till now I haven't really talked about singing, which is, of course, what we've spent a lot of our time here this weekend doing. Singing. Uh, and in our modern church environments, most people, uh, singing and worship are like synonymous, aren't they? Um, most people new to church would come and, and if you ask them what is worship, they'd probably start by saying something about singing. Everyone seems excited about singing. Uh, I hopefully this morning highlighted why that isn't the case. But I do think there's this kind of inescapable connection between the two. And singing, as we're about to find out, is fundamental, is a fundamental part of spiritual warfare. So, to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 33. Now, I wonder if you've ever tried to sing two songs at the same time. And I don't mean like Hamilton, where like the melodies all kind of overlap and sound incredible. I mean like, actually physically out of your one voice, try to sing two songs. Of course, it, you can't. Voices, you've got one voice, you can only sing one song. You can only sing one song. Let that ring in your ears. And anyway, I'm going to read Psalm 33. Oh, oh we've got the slides up nice, you guys are great. Um, I've got Psalm 33, and I'd, I'm not often a huge fan of the message version, but this version I do find helpful. And it says this I'll read the whole thing, good people. Cheer God. Right living people sound best when praising. Use guitars to reinforce your hallelujahs. I like that verse especially. <laughs> Play his praise on a grand piano or a red one. Compose your own new song to him. Give him a trumpet fanfare. For God's word is solid to the core. Everything he makes is sound inside and out. He loves it when everything fits. When his world is in plumb line true. Earth is drenched in God's affectionate satisfaction. The skies were made by God's command. He breathed the word and the stars popped out. He scooped sea into his jug. He put ocean in his keg. Earth creatures bow before God. World's dwellers down on your knees. Here's why. He spoke and there it was. In place the moment he said so. God takes the wind out of Babel pretense. He shoots down the world's power schemes. God's plan for the world stands up. All his designs are made to last. Blessed is the country with God for God. Blessed are the people he's put in his will. From high in the skies, God looks around. He sees all Adam's brood from where he sits. He overlooks all us earth dwellers. He has shaped each person in turn. Now he watches everything we do. No king succeeds with a big army alone. No warrior wins by brute strength. Horsepower is not the answer. No one gets on by muscle alone. Watch this. God's eyes on those who respect him. The ones who are looking for his love. He's ready to come to their rescue in bad times. In lean times he keeps body and soul together. We're depending on God He's everything we need. What's more, our hearts brim with joy since we've taken for our own his holy name. Love us, God, with all you've got. That's what we're depending on. Two things just to notice. Firstly, in the first three verses, how many times does it talk about God, uh, praising God or singing? It's like it's not particularly clear in the message, I admit, but it's like it's like four or five times in three verses. It's like twice a verse. It's a dense lot of worship. But the psalmist is saying it. Sing. Just in twos and threes, very, very quickly. Why do we sing? Maybe from this psalm, maybe from your own knowledge. Just turn to the person next to you and just ask the question to each other. Why do we sing? Let's go. Two minutes. Okay, great. Who wants to call out? Any suggestions? Why do we sing? It's what? Gives God glory. Okay, great. Yeah, nice. Expressive. Yeah, nice. Nice. Very good. Nice. Great answer. All all on your own, yeah, yeah, great. Any others? Something we could do together. Thank you. God sings over us. Great, it's like you've read my notes. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Pammy. Yeah, makes us happy. Come on. Yeah, puts a smile on our faces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we weren't gonna say anything. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sweet girl. Sweet, sweet girl. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah, it's great. It annoys the enemy intensely. Yeah, wow. Are you, I'm 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 sure my notes have got passed around <laughs> somewhere here. It's great. Come on. Here's three reasons why, although you've just heard them all. Why singing is important as a Christian. First one is you're commanded to throughout the entirety of the Psalms we're commanded to sing over 40 times in fact. And part of that is that it's built into us. There's this instrument that's physically being created into us. First of all the breath that God gives us out of our lungs. But then there's also the vocal cords and the way we can shape and control the pitch and the sound. They've all been designed by creator God. It's already built in. And there's no exclusions in that. It doesn't say sing if you're a worship leader or sing if you've got a nice voice or don't sing if you're Dale. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just sing. Sorry, Dale, we'll leave it there now. It's just sing. That's the command, Sing. One of the most audacious displays of worship I've ever seen was uh, one of my brother's friends who I didn't know that well, but we were at a local youth event and I was stood next to him uh, and, the, and the worship was going, the music was going. Um, and there he was standing and he was just belting out the songs. I mean, he was going for it. The music was loud and, and he, I could really hear him next to me going for it. Absolutely burning them out. But he was completely tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't hit a note. But it wasn't distracting. I think sometimes uh, I've heard this a lot, particularly in my context at St Mary's, but even in other churches, I've heard it a lot that if the if the music is bad, it's distracting in some way. But I think what you, King's Church, are really good at is that um, when you've got when you've got you've got an anointing on you to worship, and that supersedes anything else. And it's not, and I'm not just talking about the musicians here. I'm talking about you guys that actually, regardless of what's happening, your heart is in worship. You're already leaning in, right? It's a, it's a gift. You should treat it as a gift. Second reason why you should sing as a Christian, God sings too. God is a singing God. And we don't have too much time to go into detail about this, but um, I do think it would... Uh, I think it would probably be interesting to see where the Trinity is singing throughout the Bible, because it crops up in different places. But the the kind of key verse, or just a verse, uh, about God singing us, Zephaniah 3 is a good summary. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God rejoices over us with singing. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And yes, there's a mention of warfare in there because we're coming back to it. We'll get there in a second. Final thing I just want to mention about why we sing is it's our destiny. There's a congregation who in heaven now is singing day and night, night and day, offering up an incense of praise to God. And it's this that we're being invited into, In Revelation 5, John depicts a scene where the... uh, Dale, you you read out Revelation yesterday. What chapter was that? I can't remember. can't remember. Dale read out a bit of Revelation, but but this, this is what he goes on to say. It says, When he had taken the scroll, this is Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. You have made them a royal priesthood. So there they are, the heavenly beings, the living creatures, the 24 elders, singing to God, a new song. And it's this, as heaven sings, that we participate in on a, on a 10.30 Sunday morning in Oxted School. I find it fascinating, this psalm, Psalm 33, starts with singing and ends in warfare, ends in battle, ends in kind of energy and, and, and uh, conflict, And I think what this psalmist is trying to say is that singing is crucial to the battle. Singing is crucial to our spiritual battle. There is power in singing. There is power in singing. And so here's the takeaway from Psalm 33. Do you remember when I started, I said you can only sing one song at a time out your voice. And it's this. This is the conclusion. If you do not sing the song of Jesus we will sing another song. If we don't sing this song, it's not that we sing no song, we're singing a different song. Because there are kings and gods of this world that like sirens on the rocks, you know sirens that they call the sailors out of the safety of the sea onto the danger of the rocks. They try and entice us to pull us away from safety. And will we be like this psalmist and be resolute in our singing and our praise? Or will we fall to the songs of the world? So there we go. We've shifted gears. There's my thing on singing. And I really wanted, I, the reason I held off for it till to, to tonight was because I wanted to tie it in so clearly into spiritual warfare. Because remember, this morning I said we are a royal priesthood, the Levites, We are uh, um, the the holy nation of God. And we had two jobs. One is to worship him wholeheartedly. And the second is to encourage others to do the same. Lead others in to do the same. And we find this in our story of 2 Chronicles 20. And my daughter uh, is called Melody. And her middle name is Levi. Melody Levi. And she was named after this story. So, um... We live and breathe, Ali and I, we live and breathe this story every day. We wake up and I see my Melody Levi and I think, we're at, we're at, we've got a spiritual battle and we're going to praise God. And she's like, Dad, I just asked for Weetabix. <laughs> 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 Two columns, 22. So I'll save some time. I'll summarize the first bit and then we'll jump in and read it word for word. Um, so some people come. They come to the king and his name is King Jehoshaphat. And they say, King Jehoshaphat, there's a great army on your doorstep. They're on their way and they're going to come and destroy you. And it looks like it's the end for Judah. And Jehoshaphat gets Judah on its knees uh, to pray to God for wisdom and help. And he gathers them together and he proclaims a fast. We didn't mention fasting as a form of worship, but he proclaims a fast. And he says this in his prayer in verse 9. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of the judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, Yahweh, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. And then he finishes his prayer with this, and this phrase I will repeat again and again tonight. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then God's prophet Zechariah, who's a Levite, he comes and he speaks to them. And we'll pick up the story here then in verse 15. Uh, and it says, Zechariah said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them uh, at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat, Worshipped, And his face hit the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Then early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said to them, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing the Lord, to sing to the Lord, and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, "Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever." As they began to sing, and to praise, and to worship, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I love this story. I mean, I literally named my daughter after this story. Can you imagine it? The, 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 the army from Judah is absolutely bricking it. Can you imagine being a foot soldier in that army? First of all, there's this huge, terrifying army on your doorstep. And you can see them and maybe even hear them and perhaps even smell them. And then this strange bloke from the desert appears and says, but don't worry, because the Lord's with you. Great. (laughs) And then, in some weird kind of um, twist, the king then decides that the people to start the surge on this army is the the weedy bloke who can play a G chord on a guitar. You. I want you to, to lead this battle. It's the Levites that lead the army, and they remind them, this is their purpose, they remind the rest of Judah, replace your fear with worship. And as they worship, as they sing, the other army destroys itself. As the Levites stand at the head of the army, singing, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever, the other army starts having a ruckus and destroys itself. Judah's fear is replaced by worship and praise and adoration of their mighty God. I'd like to introduce you to an idea I've called the bias of allegiance. And really, that's just a fancy word of of basically saying, when you choose to step into your identity as a royal priesthood, as an individual and as a collective, as a church, and you worship God, you, you, you posture your heart towards God, you become a lightning rod to the forces that are coming against him, and they come against you. When you worship God, you become a lightning rod for the forces that stand against him to stand against you. Your allegiance to Jesus brings a bias. Worship is not a neutral activity. It's not just a nice thing that we do on a Sunday where we get to, you know, weekends away, where we get to sing a nice song, feel good about ourselves, but it's picking sides in a real battle. Winston Churchill is attributed as saying this, you have enemies, good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Well, the book of James says this: "Consider it pure joy, my consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Worship is not neutral; you are picking sides in a battle. Um, as St. Mary's, um, we talk about when we talk about baptism, we talk about putting on the shirt. Like when you get baptized, you kind of get this special shirt that you now get to wear." you get to wear the team colors now you're in the team you're in but picture the scene if you were to put on like a chelsea shirt or pick football team of choice okay oh wow okay that went down badly <laughs> oh man i was doing so well should i stop now <laughs> Wow. Okay, you put on a Chelsea shirt (coughs) and you walk into the home end of the Emirates Stadium. Wow. In front of all the Arsenal fans and they're all there in the stadium. You get in front of all the Arsenal fans and they start jeering you and shouting at you, maybe throwing beer cups at you for no other reason than you're wearing a Chelsea shirt. The message is clear. You're not one of us. You're one of them. And so when we worship, we're choosing sides in a battle. We're putting a shirt on. We're saying, I'm on this team, but I'm not on this team. And that brings about danger. Or conflict. Maybe not danger. Let's change that word. It brings about conflict. There's an opposite team that's out to get us. And the leader of that team is Satan. Now he's the anarchist of creation's rebellion. In Genesis 3, he's depicted as a serpent. And then we find out later in the Bible that actually he was at one point in the throne room of God. Stood around the throne of God, singing holy, holy, holy. But he decided he could do it better than God. And he wanted to drag all of creation, including humanity, away from worshipping their creator. And how does Satan operate? He operates by enticing, by lying, and by deceiving. French philosopher Charles Boudelier says this. Just butchered his name. Boudelier. I've been practicing that. Anyway, what does he say? He says, The devil's finest trick, the devil's finest trick is to persuade you that he doesn't exist. Now, Ali and I have been married for seven years. um, And in that time, we've had a few significant moments of stepping out in faith. I think you sort of know the moments I mean. They're like the moments where you sort of are aware that there's a significant shift in your life that's about to happen. And, And we've heard the call of God sometimes to move out or step out or reach out. And for us, what we found is in those moments of stepping towards that call our lives are kind of littered with these kind of coincidences. Things going wrong. Leaky roofs. Car crashes. Financial tension. Escalating to kind of intense depression or anxiety. I mean, even in the build-up to this weekend, I was supposed to meet with um, the King's kind of leadership team at one point, and, and I, I never go on the motorway. I never go on the motorway. But for, I, from Rygate, I just thought... It was a Tuesday, Monday afternoon, I just thought, i would just nip on the M25. And I kid you not, the, the, I've never sat in stationary traffic like that before, where people were out their cars and, and um, you know, it's just things like that where you kind of go, what is, what is at play here? Even this week, um, Ali has suffered really badly in her pregnancy this week, perhaps more than at any other point in her pregnancy. We had another car prang. Our back window smashed. We had to get a courtesy car. All these things, you just... And, 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 and maybe I'll get a chance to unpack some of my story because there's, there's more to it than just that. But, and you, you may say that's just life. Like bad stuff happens all the time. And we just have to deal with it. And, and, and maybe you're right. Maybe it is just life. But honestly, like these things just feel different. They feel different. Like there's some sort of active force at play against what's happening to stop us from responding to God's call, to stop us from worshiping him. And there's a danger when you go down that rabbit hole that you, start of kind, of, you kind of start to see a demon in every cracked mug um, or like in every bad moment. But there's also a real danger that we don't associate the two as well. And in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fool about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive interest in them. So there's a balance. There's a balance. There's a real enemy out there who's out to bring us down. But more importantly, this is where we're gonna turn to, there is a real God who is victorious and deserves our worship. And that's the story. So, I've just I've talked a lot. Let's, let's just turn again in twos and threes, very, very briefly, and ask the question, what's happening in your life? What are the battles in your life at the moment? I've talked to a few of you this weekend, and, I mean, you, you, you're in some battles, guys. You're, you're in some of the fights of your lives. So let's turn in twos and three. Let's be open together now. What battles are you facing? Great. We won't feed, back, feed that back, but can I encourage you as a church to keep thank you for being so honest to me when you've shared your stories with me? Just keep telling each other what you're going through. There's a verse, isn't there, about um, the thing that's spoken out. It, it brings it out of the darkness and into the light, and when it's in the light, it loses its power. I mean that's. A that's a very big paraphrase. But, um, but, but this, this stuff is exactly what Jesus' life was all about. Confronting and conquering the dark powers of sin, the world, and the devil. So that we can share in the light and life that his kingdom brings. And in doing that, he gives us something to worship. He gives us something to worship in the midst of those battles. And at this point, I would love to show you one of, uh, a clip of one of my favourite movies of all time. Favourite because it's so bad. It's one of those ones that's so bad you just... But, and I should, I'm going I'm to start by saying this is not a film recommendation, okay? And this is not the thing to be taken away from this weekend to go and watch this film. I'm <laughs> just going to say it. But it's, it's a great analogy. So, it's a football hooligan film, right? Football hooligan film called Green Street. And unfortunately, there's a grand total of Zero clips that I can show you due to the amount of vulgar swearing and obscenities. But the film follows Elijah Wood, as in Frodo Baggins, Elijah Wood, who was unjustly thrown out of Harvard Law School. And he goes to live with his sister in the east end of London. And it turns out her brother-in-law was a chap who used to be known as the Major, who fronted uh, the hooligan um, uh, West Ham... Um, the, the West Ham hooligans, the Green Street elite. And his little brother, Pete, is now the, the leader of that. And um, they kind of go around the country where West Ham play and they have these fights with other hooligan supporters from other teams. I told you it was a bad movie, don't go and watch it. Now, why am I telling you this? Because there's this moment and it's this great phrase and I can't find a better example than this. There's this moment in one of the first fights that Elijah Wood gets into and he has this army of opposing hooligans at the other end of a tunnel. And they're all throwing things and shouting and kind of getting riled up and ready for a fight. And generally, uh, uh, and then Elijah Wood turns to Pete and he says, let's get out of here. Or, or words to that effect. He says, let's get out of here. And then Pete turns to him. He sort of sniffs, dodges a bottle, and then says, in a really terrible Cockney accent, I'm going to attempt now, he says, You don't run, not with us. You stand your ground and fight. You stand your ground and fight. Beyond the story in 2 Chronicles, ladies and gents, I can't find a great example to what worship is in the context of a spiritual battle. In the midst of it all, with the army in front of you, the war raging on, you don't run, no matter how scared you are. You stand your ground and worship. Because in doing that, you are echoing the words of King Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. It's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the face of struggles and trials and hardships, we may not know what to do, but we know a God who's in control. We've worshipped him before. He's revealed himself to us before. And this is our truth. Let's remind ourselves of that truth. Let's remind the others around us of that truth. That God is God. That he is bigger than this army. That he is greater than this problem in front of me. That these forces that are out to pull me down can't touch me because in Jesus I am saved and redeemed and loved. They can take my job. They can take my home, my family, my identity. They can even kill me. But that doesn't stop me acknowledging that Jesus has been established as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But watch this. How did Jesus get there? How did Jesus get to be King of Kings? Do you remember we looked at Philippians 2 this morning? I'm going to read the first half out again. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God Something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And being found as an appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How did Jesus become king of kings? He didn't bring an army of angels with him, though he could have. He didn't come wrecking physical destruction in some kind of great show of power like the Pharisees were expecting him to do or the Messiah to do. Instead, he, he, he stands at the other end of the tunnel with the hooligans at one end and he's at the other and he humbles himself in worship. He becomes obedient to the Father. The father reveals his heart to his son. And the son lays his life down, his whole life, for the sake of the world. So I'm not going to G you up to get you to praise God because praise is this kind of all-powerful weapon, like some kind of great mystical sword that you walk around wielding slain demons and stuff. When God came to fight his battles, He came as a baby. He came as an obedient son. He came as a worshipful son. And he invites us to do the same. So instead, I'm going to G you up. Because when we worship, we're picking sides in the battle. But we're not here to fight with our hands and our fists. Our weapon is a life of obedience. Our weapon is a life of worship, a life in total obedience to King Jesus. And so remember this, when the enemy inevitably strikes, it's not that he's won, it's that he knows he's defeated. Consider it pure joy, says James, when you face trials of any kind. Pure joy. (laughs) Raise a shout. Not because you are strong, but because God is strong. Stand your ground and raise a hallelujah, not because you're ready to fight, but because you're ready to celebrate that God has already fought and won through Christ Jesus. Lift a hallelujah, not because you've got it all sorted, but because you know a God who sorted it. Stand your ground and worship, not because you've got it all together and you're so holy, but because you've become obedient to Jesus and have given your whole life to him as a living sacrifice. This is how we fight our battles as a royal priesthood, in worship. I'm going to finish with this before we do just that. Uh, There's a chap called Noel Robinson, who's a worship leader in the UK. And um, in the editorial book, Why Worship?, he says this. Praise is not for God. It doesn't change who God is. But praise is for us as it changes how we see God. Praise changes how we see God. Praise reminds us that God is bigger than our battle. God is greater than our enemies. Praise reminds us that God is wiser than our problem. And praise, like King Jehoshaphat, helps remind us, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. We're going to stand together and sing. I'm going to put my guitar on and we're going to praise together. Let's do that.